0: And there's a quote from the book, which was kind of mind blowing. And they say there is nothing as destabilizing as having one's core beliefs challenged. They quote Virginia Satir as well, who said, we feel better with the certainty of misery than the misery of uncertainty. Let that sink in for a little bit. I mean, Does that not just explain so much why we hold ourselves back from the things that we want to do because they are unfamiliar, because we don't know how it's going to turn out, because everything is uncertain? We would rather deal with the status quo, even if we're miserable, even if it's soul sucking, even if we hate it, than venture out to try something new. If you've ever come across a situation that your rational brain knows is either not a big deal or perhaps you realize you've self-sabotaged your way through relationships, success, and even happiness, you have got to listen to this episode. You know when you're partly through a book and you're like, oh my God, this book is going to change my life. Yeah, this week's episode is dedicated to one of those books. We are diving into a fascinating read that will change the way you think about trauma, resilience, healing. It'll change how you see yourself and others. So get ready to have your mind blown and your perspective shifted. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another week here. Hope you're doing incredible. So this week, I actually wanted to share a book that has changed my life. I originally was going to do an episode on several books and do a compilation episode of sorts, but this one I read recently and it's fresh on my mind and I really wanted to go into detail a little bit. I got this book, What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience and Healing, on a weekend getaway trip. My husband and I try to go once a quarter and just disconnect a little bit, sit, read, go hiking, visit little boutiques here and there, shops, et cetera. And this book is by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry, and he's a child psychiatrist and neuroscientist. He also wrote the book, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, which I definitely plan on reading next. And this book explores the impact of trauma on individuals and society, and it offers insights and strategies for healing. And it's so good. It is so good. It is formatted kind of in a storytelling manner with back and forth Q&A between Oprah and Dr. Perry. It's kind of part memoir and part psychoeducation, and they also share case studies of people with trauma, both as children and adults, to show how the brain processes, stores trauma, and how it affects our daily lives now. And again, I wanted to dedicate an entire episode to it because I cannot tell you how many times I put this book down while I was reading, and I was like, oh my God, Holy cow, this makes so much sense. And it took me way longer than I expected to finish because of that. And I see this at work a lot with my patients, with how they think, how they react to, let's say, getting bad news, being told that they have terminal cancer. And then you get to know them a little bit better. You get to hear their background, their family story, and how they grew up. And you're like, oh, this makes sense. Why? They're reacting the way that they're reacting, or it makes sense why they don't trust us, et cetera. And it's the same thing with my coaching clients. You know, if someone grew up with divorced parents, their attachment style is totally different than someone whose parents stayed together when they were kids. If someone was abused, they're more likely to become people pleasers because that was a survival mechanism when they were younger. It is all related. It is all interconnected, okay? (laughs) Okay. And you know this, my entire mission with this podcast, with everything that I'm putting out is to improve your quality of life, whatever that means to you. And I believe anything that helps us understand who we are and why we are the way we are is invaluable. So the basis of this book is basically using a different lens, or you could say a filter, (laughs) to examine why we act the way that we do. Instead of saying, quote unquote, what's wrong with you, the book and the authors want us to ask, what happened to you? Because our childhood experiences and trauma play a huge role in our development. It changes our brains, our nervous systems, and it affects how we act and relate to the world as adults. So some of the salient points that I took away from this book are, number one, something called state-dependent learning. And basically, there is a chart in this book that talks about how, depending on what state you're feeling, let's say you're feeling good versus you're feeling a little overwhelmed, stressed, anxious, all the way on the other end to pure terror. And so depending on what state we are feeling, our brains and our nervous systems act differently. Let's say if you're in a state of calm, your dominant brain area is going to be your cortex, everything that you need for higher functioning, etc. And you can reflect, you can daydream, you can create you can think abstractly. Your cognition is fully intact and your functional IQ is, you know, a hundred or 120 or above. This is like us in our best state. Right. And then you've moved further down. Let's say you get to a state of alarm. Then the dominant brain areas are your limbic system, which are, you know, lower down in the hierarchy of our central nervous system. Then when you're feeling alarm, then you tend to freeze up, right? And then what you also do is you start to comply. Your cognition only becomes emotional. You can't really think concretely and you definitely can't think abstractly. And it says here that your functional IQ drops to like 80 to 100. You go all the way down to terror and that is just, you know, brainstem, purely involuntary, fight or flight. Sometimes people will even faint or collapse as kind of a reflexive response to terror. And then your functional IQ, it says here, drops to 60 to 80. And so that makes so much sense. They talk about how why people who get test anxiety can't recall any information, even though you know all the material. It locks you in at a lower level of brain functioning. And essentially, it limits your access to higher level thinking. When you're stressed and overwhelmed, it's the same thing. You cannot think clearly. And that is the whole basis of this book. Like there's nothing wrong with you. This is just how the brain works, right? Isn't it fascinating? There's a section in this book where they talk about someone visiting a village of people from a war-torn country in Africa. And I think Dr. Perry went and he saw these people walking around with helmets. And he goes, why are they walking around with helmets? He quite couldn't understand it. And this is the terror part of that chart. Literally, when they heard gunfire around this kind of safe camp, these people would literally faint because their nervous systems were so activated that they would collapse at the sheer sound of gunfire. Isn't that wild? As absolutely wild. So that's something when I heard about all this I was like it makes so much sense why There's such a focus on emotional regulation about maintaining and healing our own personal states, because if we are overwhelmed, if we're stressed, we don't think clearly. We know that. And now there is scientific backup for this. And again, I'm not a neuroscientist. I am a physician, but this has always been something that is super, super interesting to me. So I hope that it helps you and it's interesting to you too. The second thing that they mentioned was kind of sequential processing and how our sensory information from our body, from within our body gets filtered from the brainstem at the lower brain on upwards through the diencephalon, the limbic system, all the way up to our cortex, which handles, again, abstract thinking, all of the higher functioning processes. So what our brain does is that it takes frameworks of previous experiences and then compares new experiences to that. So I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, I would bring home a 98 on a test and I was so, so proud. I was super excited. And then I'd show it to my parents and more than once, or maybe even a a lot, they would be like, where are the other two points, right? And so my brain started to associate unconsciously, I didn't realize this, I would associate perfection with praise, positive attention, reward, love, safety, you know, the relationship between babies, children, and their caregivers are extremely important because as babies, we are entirely dependent on our caregivers. So we feel safe when they attend to our needs and we feel unsafe when they don't. And I'm not here blaming my parents or anything like that. Um, I love my parents and I've healed a lot of things with them. More to come on a future episode. But it was a huge wake up call for me to make that connection because now as an adult, I understand why I recoil so much from not being perfect because it literally feels unsafe. I feel threatened, whether that's psychological, whether that's physical, how much of it is conscious versus unconscious. That's hard for me to say, but it makes so much sense. In the book, Oprah talks about sleeping at night. And how she has always had trouble sleeping at night, no matter where she is, even in her own home. And it wasn't until one day as an adult, she realized that she had a childhood experience with her grandmother. Oprah would sleep with her grandmother in one room and her grandfather had to mention he would sleep in another room. And they woke up one night and her grandfather was choking her grandmother. To the point where they actually had to like call out for neighbors to like get them off of her and that sort of thing. And ever since that night, they slept with a chair under the door and soda cans tied to it so that they could hear if he ever tried to come in again. And so our brains are always scanning the external world for stimuli and then comparing new experiences to prior ones. That's the reason why you're exhausted after a travel day, even though physically you may have just been sitting on a plane, a train, a bus, or anything like that, because everything is new. Our brains consume 20% of energy just by functioning and thinking. And so when the brain compares new situations, it filters new experiences through the old ones, sequentially from the more primitive brain up through the higher functioning cortex. So our brains will like categorize something, perhaps asking someone out on a date or posting on social media about our business, as dangerous because it's new, it's unfamiliar. Even though on the surface, we know intellectually, it's not that big a deal, right? <laughs> Isn't it so cool? Anyhow, another really interesting part was there was a case study of Dr. Perry and one of his patients, a patient who was in a coma from being beaten so badly, they actually ended up bringing the clothes of the abuser and let the patient smell it. Unconscious, in a coma, it activated their nervous system into fight or flight, increased blood pressure, heart rate, the patient got agitated. Can you imagine and think of how much stimuli we are not even aware of that can become a trigger for us because so much happens below our level of awareness? Something as simple as a scent of someone or something can trigger a response, right? This book also talks about the broader societal, cultural aspects of trauma and connection, how it plays out with race, socioeconomic disparities, which again, I find fascinating. Now I could go on and on and on, but I will end with this. They talk a lot about how our brains love comfort and predictability, And how we develop core beliefs about people and the world, depending on our past experiences, especially in childhood, when our brains are rapidly developing. So they give some examples of when children of abuse and neglect go to foster homes, right? Their core belief, based on experiences, is that caregivers will punish me, or they will leave, or adults will neglect me. And even if they're in a loving, wonderful environment, their brains are not used to that. They become uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar to the point where it's so uncomfortable that they start prodding and provoking so that they can get a predictable response. So, you know, they act out, they do, quote unquote, bad things, they disobey the rules, etc. And there's a quote from the book, which was kind of mind-blowing. And they say there is nothing as destabilizing as having one's core beliefs challenged. They quote Virginia Satir as well, who said, we feel better with the certainty of misery than the misery of uncertainty. Let that sink in for a little bit. The certainty of misery versus the misery of uncertainty. I mean, does that not just explain so much why we hold ourselves back from the things that we want to do because they are unfamiliar, because we don't know how it's going to turn out, because everything is uncertain? We would rather deal with the status quo, even if we're miserable, even if it's soul sucking, even if we hate it, than venture out to try something new because I don't know what the fuck is going to happen down there, right? Yeah. It's, again, so mind-blowing to me. And I talk a lot about identity on this show because of what I just said right here. Core beliefs of who we are, how the world is, how we relate to the world, and how we fit in in that model of the world that we have created from when we were children, unless you are a precocious young teenager or child listening to this podcast, we are no longer kids, right? We're not living the same life that our parents lived. We are no longer living the lives that we lived as children. And so maybe maybe it's time for us to intentionally try to create new beliefs, to create a new vision of the world, to create a new model of how we exist in the world, and to slowly but surely find and create experiences where we can be psychologically safe with uncertainty, safe feeling fear, safe feeling a little bit of hesitancy, doubt, whatever it is. And the book talks about it when confronting trauma. You do it in little bits of little increments. And look, I will leave you with one very last thing. You owe it to yourself to do what it takes to make your life a little bit better. No one is coming to save you, to save us. You might be going through an awful time and that's oh, Okay, you might have had lots of trauma in your past, little t trauma and capital T trauma. But if you read this book, if you listen to the interviews of guests who have come on this show, if you've listened to my story, you know that it's possible to make it through one foot in front of the other day in, day out. Find your tribe, get the support that you need. You have one opportunity on this earth, however short or long that may be, Go out and live. Take a chance because what if it actually gets so much better? What if that uncertainty is actually exactly what you need to up level wherever you are to radically change your life or even to just slightly improve it? That's how we get better every single day. So there you have it. The human brain never fails to surprise, delight, and impress me as I hope it does for you too. And this is exactly why I love the kind of coaching that I do, coaching the unconscious mind, because so much of our ingrained patterns of behavior, thoughts, as you briefly saw from this episode, and you will see when you read the book, is below our level of awareness, which is why the modalities I'm using in my coaching with my clients, like neuro-linguistic programming, tapping, hypnosis, memory reconsolidation, all work at a deeper level to clear away what's holding you back. So if you're like, I know cognitively that I shouldn't procrastinate, or I know that what's in front of me that I'm worrying about is not that big a deal, but I just can't seem to get over it, then book a pro bono call. The link will be in the show notes or in my Instagram bio, and let's get you feeling better. Thank you as always for tuning in. And until next time, take care of yourselves and take care of each other.